As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting normally out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is Android's Dungeon, a show about books, movies, games, music, with a special focus on the board gaming variety. I am Jack, and I'm joined by my lovely, talented, uh, occasionally sexy, Joel Bryant. How you doing, Joel? B. It's him, JJB. <laughs> How's it going there, Jackie boy? It's going right, Joel. Thank you for asking. I didn't Before slip. you even ask, I've been playing the game where you take all your money and you throw it at a random um, stock because it couldn't possibly go any lower because it's the lowest it's ever been. And then it goes much, much lower. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> no, which which one? Do I ask? Canopy. So it's now down to $12, which is like early 2017 prices. To be fair, I'm trying to remember when I bought into it initially. And it was either it was either 12 bucks or 8 bucks. I'm trying to remember. Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think 8 7 783 looks like the lowest it was ever except for obviously like pre 2015. Yeah. It was bad. In, there were some there were some bloodbaths on the market today. So in two thousand, you could have got it for half a cent. Many stocks. And then in two thousand fifteen, it came up to the respectable price of two dollars, which is still an incredible gain. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it over the lifespan of the stock, it's actually still pretty high. Twelve seventy four. But yeah, man, it's brutal. It, I think the whole idea is that it doesn't look like the U.S. is going to legalize this year. Which, like, obviously, it's December. But uh, some good news, though, is that Mexico has a vote on the 15th. Which, it's like, weed being illegal in Mexico is kind of hilarious. A lot of like, stuff... It's like, like if they made waffles illegal in Belgium... I guess so. I, I would have thought if like that would have been better if it was like tequila was illegal in Mexico for some reason. Or yeah, something. I suppose so. But it's still crazy to me to think that it, like just regular dope is not at least decriminalized in Mexico when you think about just kind of the ubiquitousness of it. It's, it's really just, you know, if, especially for vacation hotspot, why not just... But I think it's just so nuts between various criminal groups and also you have the u.s right above you breathing down your neck all the time so it's like why waste your time just like don't do it but then again i don't know anything about mexican politics so maybe there's some really good reasons or some crazy reasons for it but i wonder if you could make a board game about that the legalization only be exported yeah Uh, i haven't bought a stock in a long time so industry yeah all right you're playing the real estate real estate market Sort of. It's which so uh, far has been kicking ass. Yeah, that's. It's sad when the, the the number one investment is to just buy houses and lots and properties because apparently 
that the good times never stop <laughs> until they do it's, it's and everything just collapses around it but you know hopefully you have a good time until then we had you know, a conversation uh, up in Barrie when everybody was getting together about property tax mm-hmm. and like comparative property tax and you know a lot, of, a lot of the people there lived in New Brunswick then obviously there was property tax in Barrie versus property tax in Guelph um I don't. I, th- I think they were paying like something, six hundred a month or something. It was. It was a lot. Six hundred a month. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. That sounds excessive. That that sounds nuts. But what do I know? Yeah. Not much. I think that's one of those things you'll hear though in um, a lot of these states with um, no state taxes that the you're not paying any sort of um, the equivalent, I guess, of um, I don't. I, I'm going to mess this up, but whatever, like a not HST, but some sort of version of that is. So everyone's like, "Oh, it's way cheaper. It's way cheaper." But often the property taxes are brutal. Yeah, and, and that's where that like division of property tax, where it's like, well, this district gets has more property tax, and all the money stays in the district and funds the you know the city services. So right. They have better schools and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's I, very, you know, it's a it's a federation, so you know, it's semi-independent. Everybody keeps their money more so than in Canada, where everything's collected by the feds and then redistributed. <laughs> well, it's uh, I think it was the news. The Maritimes. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's like some people get more redistributions than others, but uh, let's I know that's a that's a conversation for another time. But uh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, Android's done a show about politics. And, yeah, uh, it's like we're we're edging in on uh, open sources Guelph. That's our uh, <laughs> that's our first we attack. Uh, What's it? Uh, yeah, movie time with uh, Mike or whatever it's called. Uh, Adam's uh, show. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get some angry tweets. Get some angry tweets. Tweets. <laughs> and now we're going after uh, open sources with our own unique brand of. I don't even know what I'm talking about. So it's like, <laughs> at least Same I'm honest. Things and hoping we're right. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal, finance. Yeah. Uh, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Aside well, from the stock obviously... market. Yeah, I've been playing the stock market. I've been playing a little um, Dune Imperium. We got another like game of actual Dune lined up next week. And uh, besides that, D and D, uh, and and that's about it. Well, let's let's swap things out. Let's do let's do a D and D recap right now because we can both talk about Dune Imperium. Oh, uh, sure. So we can do the uh, the D and D chat, and I'll talk about whatever I've been doing. Well, it was an exciting week. Um, in the first hour of the session or so, they decided they've got really obsessed with the lighthouse at the top of the. Yeah, abbey. it's a. Everyone loves lighthouses. Yeah, so they lit the beacon. The beacon shone a light, and they were all very pleased with themselves. <laughs> um, but, but then nothing happened. So eventually, after about forty-five minutes of them trying to figure out what the beacon meant, um, I told one of them to roll a history check. Okay. And they passed, and I said, "You remember way back yesterday when they told you that the seagull would tell you how to get to the place you wanted to go." Oh man, brutal! <laughs> All right, well, stop. Let's let's do, take this opportunity here to do some. We're gonna call this the uh, uh, the DM device corner, 
and we're going to let Joel provide some device, advice with regard to if your players are stuck at a, uh, a section of the game that you feel like they should be progressing because the information is presented to them or the clues are there or one of them should know better, how do you like to proceed in this situation, Joel? Well, I kind of like to let them kind of like fail forward. So at first I thought, okay, so they they really want to light this beacon. That's fine. What I'll do is I'll, I'll put tape all the way around the beacon and have it shine a single solid beam at the water off in the distance in the direction that they need to go. And I thought maybe they would, you know, like take that as a cue to like head to the location where the beam was going. So they lit the beam. They see tape all around it. They see this solid beam and they're like okay i we get it they would turn this lantern to to scare off the monsters you know not unfair obviously totally wrong but you know it was a fair guess so then they start debating whether or not they should take the tape off of the lantern and then maybe something (laughs) so you know I would say that you give them time, right? Because this is part of the fun of D&D is just exploring and and finding out what happens, right? So I give them like 20, 30 minutes because I'm totally fine with half of the session being role-playing and half of the session being combat. Stop! You gave them 20 to 30 minutes? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my lord. Good for you. And then I thought, you know, like in 45 minutes, Stefan needs to go. (laughs) <laughs> so I need to get something happening here. So that's when I kind of like was like, well, they don't remember the last session, but the last session was two weeks ago. So I guess I can forgive them for that and, and just give them a reminder. Does that seem fair? Well, that's what I was getting at. So that's this. I was trying to figure out or get you to provide some advice to people who are DMing, and they're in situations where they want the players to move on. And they don't want to, if it's something that they don't think they should just give to them, but perhaps they should know or be able to glean or discern. Or I, I guess even the, all the qualifiers are put in there. How do you want? How do you ju- nudge players in the right direction in your in when you're DMing? Puzzle. You could give them a piece of paper, a note, anything like that, where you could then extrapolate some information out of it. Um, so yeah, I think just leave clues and then hope that they read them. <laughs> a really funny situation, actually, also last week, where there was a journal on the table next to the lantern with a bunch of information in it. And um, they're like, okay, I pick up the journal. I'm like, okay, it's kind of old and tattered. Some of the pages fall out. They're like, okay, I put the journal in my pocket. Okay. Cool. Do you read the journal? No, 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 I just put it in my pocket. <laughs> like, Who doesn't okay. say I want to read the journal? <laughs> Nobody wants to read the journal, apparently. Uh. So, you know, it's, it's a little tough sometimes, but we got through it and we got down. And, you know, I think Stefan was kind of like felt like he was in a hurry. So he's kind of pushing things forward. So it's like, okay, uh, you're, going down, you're diving. Okay, I, go, I dive deeper. Okay, you know, you see this. Okay, I died fever. So, so, you know, it's like, fine. He's actually at least moving forward the plot, even though it's kind of in an inpatient way. Yep. Yep. So, and then they get to the barrier, and it's like, okay, are you going to pass through? He's like, I'm just going to go for it. So he goes through, and, you know, he takes some necrotic damage, whatever, he becomes vulnerable to it. 
Mm-hmm. And then everyone else is like, well, there's got to be some other way through, which I think there should be some other way through without having to take that hit. But that's well, it's, it's I think it's you have to. And this is one of the weaknesses of the, of the books. And, and I always blame myself for not kind of trying to fix it. But typically, like if you play a computer game, generally speaking, unless it's really obvious that you're at full health or there's health afterward, that it's like, OK, I get taking some damage. It's understood. But, yeah, that's true, and I, I kind of like the way the, the the mission is designed, where it's like you go and you defend the island, and you get blue rot, but you can breathe underwater, and then yeah. you go and you lose some constitution from the blue rot, and then you go down and you have to make a constitution save, so it makes it slightly more high chance that you're going to fail that check, and then if you fail that check, then you're vulnerable to necrotic damage. And then the main boss has a big uh, necrotic ink attack that hits everybody with necrotic damage. So it's like yeah. it's scary, right? It's yeah. Getting hit with twenty-seven necrotic damage, then you have to double it. <laughs> You're pretty close to death at that point, right? Well, that almost feels excessive. Like it's. I think that's something where I feel like it gets a little unfair. That I don't mind if you've taken this, like because the game is shoving the blue rot in your face at this point. It's like, it's, it's everything. It's all but doing like a railroad to get blue rot. And, uh, it just seems to me almost kind of like putting your thumb on the scale pretty hard to be like, ah, but, but because you have this, now things are even more tougher. And because things are more tougher, things just got even tougher. And now here's an extra penalty for something. Ha ha ha. It's like, okay, okay. Thank you for, thumbing the scale on this encounter that wasn't hard enough with uh, a giant undead pirate at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. But there Sorry. was something interesting about that in that we have this one player now who's really new but has decided like to kind of take a pacifist approach to D&D but in, in an interesting way. like Not just like, oh, I refuse to fight like be a useless person. They instead took all the spells which are like crowd control and metagaming and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they have hold person, dominate person, dominate monster, you know, all of those things that no one ever uses because they don't do damage. Mm-hmm. But they've been super effective. They were they're actually made it, able to cast it at a higher level and paralyze not only Sirgal, right, like the big boss man, yeah. but one of the other big monsters too, which are just sitting there paralyzed, getting hit at advantage. Um, super effective, right? As long as they're able to maintain concentration. And then she was even able to dominate person on him. He failed the check, and she could control the big pirate monster. Like, how badass is that? All right, I got to weigh in on this because this is something that I think the game does a very poor job of. And frankly, this is going to tail into um, what I've been playing recently too. So, um, the it's. It, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Joel, but D&D feels more focused on the combat. So naturally speaking, everyone picks stuff that is good in combat. Because frankly, picking less good combat stuff or more social or metagame stuff or um, you know, exploration, divination, etc. Yeah. It's, it's a waste of time because you'll be sitting there in a combat going, uh, uh, is there evil? I detect evil? Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, we're just laughing at them. <laughs> Thank you for that, wizard. That was a great turn of yours, our cleric. Um, but it also, the game, it feels like it punishes you for doing stuff where, let's say you do go towards the root of, like you're saying, like, oh, okay, I'm going to be able to 
I'm going to try to make the, the guy take a, a, a pass a wisdom check or pass this or pass that. I feel like I've just been burned so many times on like RPGs in general that when you t- attempt to do stuff like that, status effects and things, it's always, no, he's immune. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Mine. That does no, come up it's, a lot. and you're just sitting there going, what is, what, this is a huge waste. What a waste of time because you, no one wants to take spells that are useless against the boss, but are like half decent against mooks. And even the higher level mooks, you feel the same way. It's like, eh, doesn't work on them. They're immune. Like, who would, because personally, Joel, I would never in a million years have thought you could dominate mind uh, the boss. Never, because to me that feels like again, it well, feels. There are monsters. Easy. There's a lot of bosses and enemies out there where it's like, yeah, immune to all charm effects. That's what I'm getting at. So it seems like yeah. immune to charm effects seems one of like the most basic status effects you can get, uh, or like kind of like just to make sure to make sure nobody does this on them. I'm astounded Sergal doesn't have that to be honest. Yeah. So well, the one thing he was immune to was poison. Classic. Josh Gaskill comes in, puts like uh, this really expensive poison he bought mm. on his blade, and starts stabbing him with it. And I'm like, well, your piercing damage goes through, but the poison doesn't seem to do anything. Well, the next thing you would have done is if you're mean, and it was like, well, he's a skeleton. Your piercing damage is half damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so that's what I'm getting at. It's just like it's not intuitive, and frankly, I think it's unfair because. It's, it, you're just, and this, and again, this will tail nicely into what I'm talking, going to say for my little section here, but it's, it's kind of frustrating. And I don't want to say it's like, you should, everyone, everything should be on the table for all enemies, unless it's explicit and it's rare that doesn't work for them. Because otherwise it might be too powerful, the idea of just making things like pass a, a wisdom save every time, or else you just like cheese the encounter where you can have them like dominated and yeah, Almost I'm gonna take at least be like a library or something that you can at least go research the monster and like find out what people have learned, you know? Yeah. Instead of just like going into a fight and just like finding out by failing and then you never fight this monster again. Yeah. I don't and know then what the maybe like if you've been playing for twenty years, you're gonna be like, Oh, I came across, you know, a a Bodak. I, I know how to yeah. fight this one. I don't look at it, right? Or something. Yeah, well, and that's when we're getting to the metagaming here. So um, all right, so I'm going to just move right into mine because this is an actual perfect segue here. So like I've been saying, I've been playing... Um, or, no, no, let's finish yours. I apologize. Did they, so they, did you, they finish the encounter or did you pause it? So uh, Stefan left probably about halfway through and we kept going all the way till nine, which is a little later than usual, but uh, it was an f- exciting fight. I think there was a lot of damage dealt on both sides very quickly. And the metagaming was actually super effective. A big monster came out of the portal. Obviously, I was gonna I was gonna actually message you before the session and say how much I'll bet you fifty bucks they don't figure out how to use the the pillar like you did uh-huh. uh, to like you know flick, flick the wings wind switch. And obviously they didn't, so they, they didn't get anything until all the monsters were dead. But then eventually, okay. the skull talked to somebody out of you know their pocket and said, "Take me to the pillar." And put me against the pillar, and that solved the problem. Did you have to give me hints on that, or did I immediately start doing stuff with the? the Hell no, you did it before. You before like Sirigal never took damage. You just went there and just did it, and it was like okay. I was was just trying to remember if you were like dropping hints or not first, but uh, we were just like, oh, pillar. I know pillar. (laughs) We saw it. We saw it at the Abbey Isle. You know, I know how this works. Do stuff. Take the pillar. 
And so I made it a little bit harder, I think, by having it buried. So you had to spend a turn on burying it, but it was just to make it so there wasn't like a two-turn encounter. But you could have been nastier, I think, to almost just put like a, a guy underneath it, like you dig up a, a skeleton or some sort of like. <laughs> oh yeah, some bones come out. You know, it's like bones. the whole floor is bones. So yeah. Although you know what, I don't know. It's up to you. I, there's nothing wrong with if somebody's creative and they like they do an encounter in a good way. And I'm not saying that because I did. Yeah, I'm exactly. It's like it's neat if you somebody figures out the. It's just nice when that option exists, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so. Like I said in a previous uh, episode, I've been playing some Shin Megami Tensei 5. Yeah. Roku, I guess, is what you would call it, but the number. Um, so it, this dovetails beautifully with what we were talking about. So I love these games. I love these series. I'm more than willing to admit um, it's kind of repackaging the same thing over and over again, but with slight tweaks and quality of life, better graphics. Um, in this case, um, the graphics are quite nice, although I have to say they've switched to the Unreal Engine for some reason. I don't know if it's that's, it's because it's very easy to program in, it's very easy to model, and it's just like a very clean, ubiquitous engine that people know how to program for, and a lot of systems are designed around. Um, but the uh, in the previous games, there was this... I think he's one of the uh, executives at Atlas now. There's this incredible designer called... Um, uh, oh, Jesus... Kazako or Kanede Kazako or whatever. But he was responsible for doing all these incredible designs for these demons and monsters in these games since like the original uh, Persona games. And I don't know which um, SMTs he was working on, but he's a very distinct style of this. Um, All his characters usually look kind of like they're glowering and they have this kind of vague, clean style to them, almost technical aspect to them. But he dips heavily into uh, the source material for all these demons and, and folklore and things. And usually a lot of these monsters are these elaborate or kind of wacky interpretations of them. But done in this beautifully uh, conservative yet expressive uh, Japanese style. And the guy is just a character himself. Like you look at him and you just think, oh man, he's a weirdo. I love him. But uh, they've managed to. So for the 3DS games, they released a bunch of them. And they attempted to bring in new artwork because I, I guess they didn't get the Canada's uh, or Kazuno or whatever the, his name is. Um, they He wasn't doing the new designs, but they had a mix of his old designs and these new ones that were just hideous. So bad, Joel, that you looked at them and said, who did they hire? What Kijiji ad did they post to get somebody to draw these? Just truly horrible and just aggravatingly bad, like really, really shockingly bad. Coincidentally, all those designs are nowhere to be found in this game. <laughs> so they've now got somebody who's, I think, threaded the needle and found the closest thing to it without being um, uh, plagiarizing, and but also kind of branching off on his own and also keeping a lot of the old designs, which are considered classics. So uh, they've done a pretty good job, even though I think the new designs lack the originality of the others. But going into what we were talking about, the big thing of the game is what I was telling you the pre- uh, last time was that the game revolves around this whole sort of like semi, uh, we'll call it rock, paper, scissors times like to the third degree where every monster has, um, has strengths and weaknesses and they can either totally, they can resist something, they're weak to it, they can block it completely, they can absorb it and like take health from the attack. 
So you're trying to figure out which monsters are weak to what, because every time you hit a weakness, you get extra turns uh, when you're attacking, because you get, by default, one action per character uh, in your party per turn, but if you hit a weakness, they get you add plus one to that, to a max of plus four total. So you can have, if you hit every weakness, if you have a party of four, you get plus eight. So what you're trying to do in all these encounters is you're running across these random monsters, and you're looking at them, and you're hitting them with, oh, I'm going to hit this guy with fire. Nothing. I hit this guy with ice. Oh, it's weakness. Okay, he's weak to what? Ice. So you go through your party. Boom. Hit him with ice. Hit him with ice. Oh, this guy doesn't have ice. He's just going to whack on him. Big deal. Or he's going to hit a debuff or something. So because you've, I've been playing these games for so long, you start to know right from the get-go that it's like, oh, this guy's weak to fire. the creature? You recognize the creature. It's like, yeah, no question. Uh. Oh, here goes the fire. Call it a day. And... Uh, that's where I think some of the new monsters come from because nobody knows what they are. And initially, if you're not sitting there with the game fact open or the website and just like, what monster is this? <laughs> okay, it's weak to ice. And then you just like start slamming him with that stuff, which I think is cheesy. But the issue is, Joel, the game is so deadly that there's some encounters that yeah, if you start them you, and you're just going to die because let's say you pick the wrong thing. And so if you, if you target the wrong thing and they block completely or absorb it, you instantly lose two of your actions that turn. So there's a huge penalty to screwing up with your, your attacks, but also the monsters can do the same thing where if they hit one of your characters and you block or absorb it, they lose two. Or if they miss entirely, and that's where the game gets in where it's like, and this is kind of what I was talking about, debuffs and buffs are huge in the game, which is so nice to feel because so many of these games, it's like, don't waste your time on debuffs, just hit. Don't waste your time casting static, but some monsters are immune to them and some aren't and this is where i was when you're talking about where when you're discussing like the the dominate mind increasing defense or the best one is when you decrease their dropping their accuracy and uh uh, ability to dodge too fantastic move um but the other thing is that and this is what kills me is that so there's there's this trial to it there it's like you go you can start a fight let's say a boss fight and it's almost like you almost just want to write it off initially because you say, well, I just need to figure out the guy's weaknesses and it might cost me a few rounds before I figure it out. And then by that time, I might already be half dead or wasted a bunch of attacks on pointless things. So I'll just restart knowing what the weakness is and just target them immediately. But the other thing too is like most of these guys can be immune to status ailments. So all of a sudden, all the stuff that you were sitting on going or previously going, oh, it's a waste of time. Don't do it. Don't do it. Like... And I guess that's what I was getting at, where there's this meta element to a lot of the game, similar to D&D, where the longer you've been playing it, the more you recognize certain monsters or certain characters. You go, obviously, this guy, like, oh, this is, like, you're fighting, a, uh, let's say, in D&D, you're going against, like, a rock golem. You're like, well, I'm not going to hit him with a melee weapon. That's physical damage. He's going <laughs> to either take none or uh, take half or fighting a ghost. And it's like, you're, are ghosts even immune to physical damage? Like, is it not all non-magical damage doesn't do anything to them? Depends on the level of it. Like regular wraiths, I think, still take half damage. That's not even the worst, yeah. So, but it, it's just certain things, and that's where you, like the it, it's so difficult. I think if you're um, doing everything by the book, and if you expect players to and designing around either expecting players not to know what it is, or expect them to know what it is, might even be deadlier because if they don't, and people are laying into it, you're like, oh no, I was hoping they would know not to do that, and then the guy just like. <laughs> The monsters clobbers them, but it, it's to me there's that's like attack types that like heal monsters. Like, what's that? There's like certain attack types, like shoot like slime at a slime monster or something, you're gonna heal it, yeah, exactly. And like, there was like this, I think, when we were playing uh Storm King, when we were doing that one, and there was the uh, the like the pudding, I think, and uh, 
like I wouldn't have I don't remember how they work, but I think it was somebody cut it in half and it split you and split now there was more split two full health ones or something. Well, it, it's like you split the HP, but now now their action economy has doubled, which is deadlier than having one full size one. So um but just little stuff like that. Like what do you think about it as far as from a um a DM's perspective of like what where do you draw the line? And also what about the Grognard that's like knows all the monsters already so by the time you put out something that you think might have a gimmick to it he's just already saying no don't attack with fire don't attack with melee do this do that well i think about that uh, meme i sent you with the uh, darth vader and it's like uh the dm to the to the grognard or whatever is like i have modified the monster pray yes. that i do not modify it further <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can do whatever you want with these monsters right you don't have yeah. to use the text box and i think Hundred percent. If you're actually putting the effort in and doing some prep, you should take a look at each of the monsters in your thing, and maybe like add a weakness and a and a resistance or something, and maybe even add some flavor to it. Like what I did with uh, the creature that crawls up out of the pit. It comes out. It has like a flurry of blows. It does six attacks. It's already Incredible. doing a ton. That's of crazy. Yeah. So it came out and it dropped the rogue to five health in one oh. attack. And everyone was like, oh, damn, we're screwed. But then they start attacking it, and I, I get it to lose limbs. Oh, good. So that good. it's doing less attacks. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, just a little something like that. Like, no monsters actually have that in their stat blocks, that they actually get weaker as the, as they take more damage. But why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Ugh. You can do multiple some... forms. Remember we had that yes. fight with the crabs, where, like, it, it's, like, one thing, and then it turns into another. Splits th- into two. I don't know why the monster manual or the general staff are they afraid of people having to do extra work with the monsters that's creative that's fun monsters already generally speaking fairly lame in dnd i don't mean this creatively totally. i just mean as far as their attacks go and what they're doing it, it can be so dull but giving them like second forms or something or three forms or having them lose arms or do cool stuff that's fun as it stands like generally speaking it's just it attacks it attacks it casts yeah. a spell. It attacks. I'm totally for modifying monsters. That's that's a given. I mean, legendary actions is pretty cool. I mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. anything that's got that. I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. And why not? Like allow it. Allow people to be afraid of it in between its turns, right? Because if you've got a five player thing and like five people go before each monster, it doesn't matter how powerful the monster is. It's taking. It's maybe gonna get two turns. Yeah. <sighs> D&D. Um, I'm just looking at Shimigami Tensei here because it was on sale for I think $54.99 over Black Friday and I was considering it for the Switch. Yeah. And it's back up to $79.99. No, and then I'm like no, looking no, no, at no, all no. this DLC and I'm like, oh, no. Uh, $3.99, $6.99, $12.99. There's like for 10 all these DLCs. Mini DLCs. Yeah. It's, you can buy the bundle, I think, for forty bucks. It's that's atrocious. It's absolutely unreasonable, and I. It's I'm a, assuming ab- what you have comes with all those. Yes, it does. It's, Very nice. It's the cancer that is killing the industry, and it's it's more Nintendo is like because right now it's only on the Switch, so I'm blaming Nintendo and Atlas for this. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's at, it's that is an absolute crime, and especially based on what I've seen, some of the DLC is. Um, unless I'm totally off by the one, it's something that I would say is almost required as a fan of the series, but I could be wrong. Is it might it, not be. Um, a goddess in training? No. No. Rage is there... of the Queen? 
No, those are extra. Return quests. of the True Demon. Oh, yes, okay. that's it. Return of the True Demon. That's <laughs> nice. what is that the twelve ninety nine one? The thirteen dollar one. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason. They know what they're doing on that one. Grants access <laughs> of the subquest. In this quest, players will be able to take on and recruit the legendary nine fiends. Oh, oh, they're so good. Oh, they're so cool. <laughs> they might as well. They Mother Harlot. Just... Oh my God, Joel. You don't, don't even, don't get me started. It's, there you are. Because they're all taken from SMT3, which is honestly, I think the, the greatest, JR, one of the greatest JRPGs ever made. Just dripping with theme. Absolutely bonkers. Mm. Deranged. Difficult as hell. If you ever want to play a game where you fight you you punch God in the face and then beat up Satan just to prove that you're better than him. Yes, this is a game for you. <laughs> Featuring Dante from Satan Devil May Cry. stopped you uh, as you're walking along the path to uh, <laughs> <What's your> path? <laughs> like, uh, Raccoon City or whatever it is. Ra- or, no, uh, Vermilion? Or what? Is Vermilion? that a Pokemon yeah. reference? Yeah. yeah. It says, hey, you want to fight my Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> right, in the, right in the kisser. All right, we'll take a musical break. Back in a second. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Android's Dungeon, CFRU 93FM, where we punch God in the face and arm wrestle Satan, because we can. What you just listened to was a track from Tangerine Dream album White Eagle from 1982. The track is Convention of the 24. I am digging the Tangerine Dream lately. It is fantastic stuff, uh, and you can tell that uh, they are huge inspiration for a lot of people who are into the synth music these days. and. Uh, their influence on soundtracks and music as a whole cannot be understated. If you have any streaming service, you can go on and check them out. They have a million bloody albums. I'd say start at the beginning and just work your way up. But that's me. Before we went to break, we were talking about D&D. We talked about uh, S Shin Megami Tensei 5. And uh, now we're going to do our feature, I suppose. And we're going to talk show. about the star of the show is a game that I think we've both wanted to play for a while, and that was given to Joel as a gift and given to me as a gift, but in a different way. And that is Dune Imperium from I think Direwolf Games. I have to look behind me. It's I can't Direwolf see it too Digital, far. yeah. Well, yeah. And then, and in uh, conju- in partnership with uh, legendary uh, movie production or whatever it is, uh, Joel, I will let you set it up. Well, Dune Imperium is a deck builder um, with a board state and slightly more of a board state than your typical deck builder because it's actually got sort of like four types of locations that you can jump onto. And basically, by playing certain cards, certain cards will allow you to go to like one or two, or maybe even all of those locations, depending how good the card is. And then when you go there, you get a thing. It's kind of like a, a worker placement. You think you go there, either pay X cost and get X thing, or just get X thing if it's one of the like cheaper but not as nice places. And you're just working your way up to finding various ways to getting to 10 victory points. Uh, it's a four-player game. We're up to four. And so you'll be vying with these other people to be um, the most powerful person in Dune, or faction in this case. I thought it was weird that there was like these minor houses. Not even a faction. Yeah. Why wouldn't they just use the major houses that are actually in conflict for Dune? But Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't overthink it. <laughs> Uh, basically, you get a, a special hero or like a, a house leader who's like uh, got an ability, and then you can commit troops to fights. You can move around and sort of like gain influence with the, sort of like the major um, elements of, that are controlling Dune, like the Emperor, the Bene Gesserit, the um, Freeman, and the Spacing Guild. And as you move up in influence on them, you'll gain victory points. And again, you only need to get to 10. So any way that you can gain one victory point is huge because it just moves you that much closer to the end. So basically what you do is you you play your turn, you do these worker placement actions, and then whatever you have left once you run out of workers, you look at the bottoms of the cards and they'll have like a currency on them, which is considered influence. And you put those down and you say, okay, I have four, I have six, whatever. And then you look and there's a market row, uh, five random cards 
from a main deck and then you will buy one of those cards put it in your discard put the rest of your stuff in the discard and you're done and basically um that goes on for i don't know what did you say about five rounds uh, until somebody crosses that line into 10 victory points and then there could be a situation where people have taken secret cards called intrigue cards which could lead them to end up winning but let's not get too crazy dune imperium is basically a deck builder with a very small focus on the building of the deck and a much bigger focus on deciding what to do on the board. Would you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's, I want to, because I'll see if you disagree with my assessment. I'm going to take it in a slightly different way. I'm going to say it's a worker placement game with a very slight focus on deck building. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like instead of a deck builder with board state, it's a worker placement with a small... Uh, yeah, builder state like almost on the level of Concordia. Yes, and I think that's a perfect comparison with regard to the amount of times you'll see cards. Because uh, although I think in Concordia, does it go on top of your deck? It doesn't go to your discard, does it? When you buy a card, it goes right in your hand. Yeah. Um, wait, in your hand or into the draw? Yeah, because everything's your hand in Concordia. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly what Joel's saying. You have it's you can reduce it to it's a worker placement game where you're and you start off everyone starts off with a, a very similar feeling deck of 10 cards of mixed things and the cards double as some of them have great text when you play them and they kind of tell you where you can put your your worker and everyone starts off with two and you can acquire a third one later on if you uh, play your cards right ha 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 or acquire eight bucks um but they send you in a direction, but if they have great text on them, they also give you a play bonus. And if they have, at the bottom, a blue section, that will uh, give you things when you hold on to them after you finish taking your actions for the turn and you reveal when you go into the, the sort of the deck acquiring phase. But there's also the conflict, like Joel was mentioning as well, where you're committing your cubes on the board and you're trying to win these conflict cards, which are randomly generated through the game uh, with a little variety. Uh, there, some will always be there. Some won't be there. And uh, and that's a kind of a natural timer because every round, one of these conflicts is going to show up. And somebody is going to, well, you know, maybe nobody commits to one, but somebody is probably going to win one of them. And they're going to take rewards. And second place gets reward. And third place rewards. Ties are handled in a certain way. But when all these conflicts are done, too, the game's over. So there's a guaranteed end of the game, which is kind of nice, as opposed to something that can just spin its wheels nonstop. Um, but like Joel was saying with regard to Concordia, when you're buying these cards, depending on how quickly the game is going and how quickly you're acquiring cards or trashing cards, you may only see this card a couple times throughout the entire game, depending on how big the deck's going or when you acquire the cards. So you have to be very careful. It's not like, let's say... I don't know, like, Dominion seems to be my go-to these days. So uh, when you're, you're buying a card in Dominion, odds are you're anticipating seeing it plenty of times unless you, there's no trashing whatsoever. And uh, in that case, it's, <laughs> yeah, good luck seeing some of these cards a few times. But yeah, it's a worker placement that as you get the cards, they almost facilitate your worker placement actions. And that's kind of the fun part where they make them better or they let you do more stuff in the reveal phase or the acquisition phase or uh, give you some more options. But you are trying to trash some of them because some of these cards are easily replaced by other ones in your deck. But 
it's a nice little push and pull with regard to um, do I want to play this card or do I want to save it for the reveal phase? Do I want to go to this place immediately or do I think Joel's going to get there? And depending on what character you have, sometimes it doesn't matter because some characters can just copy spaces, which was something else too. So, uh, I think. More uh, qualitatively speaking, Joel, what did you think of the game? I loved it. I think it does a really nice job of balancing uh, just the player's interest. Like, there's no, there's no, um, there's no right choice. I think is is basically one of the part reasons I'm saying that is that it seems like the game came up with five. One, two, three. One, two, three. At least four. I think five different choices as far as like uh, which way you want to go and kind of made them a little bit symbiotic because it kind of gave you this flow of like you take water, which gets you, which gets you um, spice, which gets you money, which allows you to improve yourself. And you kind of like cycle through that flow and it actually requires you to go to different places to get those things. But then also uh, leans heavily on the theme for these alliance things, which are just as powerful for ways to get there. So you've got locations on the map you can go to. So let's give a quick outline of just sort of like the ecology of the game. One section, the whole section of the map is dedicated to locations you can go to. And if you go to those locations, not only will you get X benefit, but you'll also then get, be given the opportunity to contribute troops to the conflict, which is, again, this kind of like uh, tug-of-war. Uh, you can either contribute nothing and just say, you know what, I'm not in for this one, I don't care. Mm. Uh, or you can contribute you know, a lot or a little, and sometimes you want to wait till other people commit because mm-hmm. then they can't add in more troops, and that's the whole thing. But <laughs> basically... Uh, you go to these locations on the map, you can c- contribute trips, and you'll see first, second, and third prizes, first usually being a victory point, which is obviously great. Then there's the left side of the map, which is dedicated to... Cur- uh, cur- uh, I'm trying to say uh, getting influence, but is it curring influence? Um, I don't think so. Getting <laughs> Anyway, gaining influence with whatever faction you're interested in, and each of the factions will give you different things. If you if you get influence with the Emperor, he'll give you more troops. If you gain influence with Bene Gesserit, you can get rid of some of your cards that are not good. You can get these special intrigue cards, which are fantastic. Yeah. Um, if you've been curb, what what does the Spacing Guild give you? The Spacing Guild does, you can either get a folded space card, which lets you go anywhere on the board, but you've got to yes. trash the card afterward, but you get to draw one, or you can spend six spice to gain five troops and, and <laughs> a ton of money and uh, some other stuff. It's a crazy card. I don't think you can commit them to combat initially, but it's just like, oh my god, it's crazy. Wild. And then uh, the Furman basically gets you water and some troops yeah. as well. Um, and so you, you can kind of like water is obviously precious. This is Dune we're talking about. It, so they they're leaning heavily on the theme, and then and then what I thought was really interesting was there's a lands rad guild. You can take your money there 
and do all sorts of interesting things. You can get a permanent two influence by putting yourself on the seat council. You can pay $8 to get a third uh, uh, sort of placement worker, which is called your sword master, which I thought was amazing. Um, you can, you know, buy troops. You can pay four bucks for a whole bunch of troops. You can do all sorts of neat stuff up there. And it's completely separate from the rest of Dune, right? It's like you are going to the Landsrad, spending X money and doing things. And usually cards that will allow you to go places in Dune won't allow you to go there and vice yeah. versa. So then you have to make decisions on what kind of cards am I going to buy to do this? And then finally, obviously, there's the market, which we already explained. You can go buy cards. And I was thinking, Jack, it's really interesting when you think about the fact that there's X amount of rounds, right? Mm -hmm. And that we didn't even get near the end. I think we saw the first three card, and that was it. Which no, was, that was cool it. That was the end. Because the three card was actually two victory points, which was yeah. massive. So obviously, the threes things get interesting as far as combat goes. Yeah. But I was going to say, you know, I think there were four one cards we played with, and then how many twos? Not a lot. Maybe one or two. Which means that we only played six rounds of the game. Which means you only had five opportunities to buy a card. Does that seem we right? Might, we might have set up stuff wrong because I think there's supposed to be there's ten there's supposed to be ten conflicts total. Um, yeah, exactly. But you do your reveals, and then there's the conflict is resolved, and then you do the next one, right? So if there's ten conflicts total, and we only saw the first of four threes that means we ended it on the sixth or seventh round which seems about right i think so it's it seems like it's a very aggressive game we're actually out of time so we got to wrap this up but yeah which is might... all i was going to say was that it, it's not a deck builder because you only buy cards six times <laughs> yeah and and that's actually been there's i've been checking into the geek a little bit and there's some because a very popular game there's tons of discussion about strategy and frankly it's not a heavy game and that worries yeah. me a little bit that it seems like there might be some obvious choices and less obvious choices and maybe some of the the card draws can be very frustrating that something very good can pop up and that's the kind of nature of the card row that it's got it's just got the market row that's replenished instantly so every time you buy something something better might come up immediately so uh great good for you so uh there there are a lot of things we haven't really talked about so we may we may have to come back to this afterwards but uh in the meantime, I think we can both say off the get-go, I've got two games that are on my belt. I, did you get a second one in yet? I'm not sure if he's, he's got a second one in, but uh, probably no. imminently. But uh, I think it's something we're both going to try to get on the table more often because it's so yeah. easy to play and it's fun. And it's, it's not a, a really long, brain-burning melting of a game, but there's, there's still good choices in it and there's expansion coming out. So hopefully the expansion is something that's, uh, uh, you know, half decent. But until then, we're going to wrap it up. Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM. Check us out on Instagram at uh, Android's Dungeon and on Twitter at 80 Radio CFRU. And shoot us an email at droiddungeonradio at gmail.com. But until then, I'm Jack. And he is Joel. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Have a good night. Bye-bye. <laughs> Can you not hear me? No, you were cutting out. Oh, okay. At least I was cutting out and not like completely gone. Yeah. Well, no, you were gone. That's why I didn't hear anything. Huh.
Did you hear and I'm Joel or did you say that? I didn't hear any of it. <laughs> you couldn't hear me. Oh, that's no. weird. Yeah. Huh.